Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Fellowship. If you are new, we are glad to have you and hope that you've already been blessed by being a part of our service. This is now, as we continue in our worship, the time of preaching and teaching the Word of God, which is, again, just a very important part of our gathering and, uh, and part of why we come in the Lord's name uh, to hear from his, uh, from his Word. So I'm uh, teaching through a series um, on the book of Acts, and uh, I've entitled it Witnesses, and we started this actually a while back in, uh, in 2020, and now we're kind of working our way through, and, and it's entitled Witnesses because we're learning about these very bold uh, witnesses of the gospel early uh, in the early church. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, what I called Saul's rude introduction to gospel ministry. And we're going to see as we go through this text that it certainly was, was that. And I think that's something that we're all familiar with, some sort of rude introduction uh, to something that's new. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe you've, even, even in ministry, maybe it's a new ministry, and it was kind of a rude introduction to that ministry by what you went through, or a new job, um, or even a new activity. And, and usually you go into these new adventures with so much expectation, right? Uh, so much hope that it's going to turn out well. And you know it's just going to be great, which is why you're doing it in the first place. And you're excited to get started. And then just as soon as you begin, it just seems that everything is working against you. And just like that, you know, from what this high expectation that you had, your dreams are kind of shattered for that particular endeavor, and then you wonder, why did I ever think this new thing was a good idea? And, and that has happened uh, to, to many of us. Um, I, I think even when we think about our jobs, how many, now don't raise your hands for this, but uh, how many of you at some point in your life, I know it's happened, it, it happened to me, um, I won't tell you about it, but you interviewed for a job, you took the job, and you quit during your first shift. You know, like, when you really think about that, you know, you wanted the job, obviously. You, you know, the employer did not force you to apply. At least I don't think that happened. Uh, you applied for a job, you interviewed for a job, you get started, and you come to the determination really early and really quick, this is not going to work. And you think about it, how do we go from wanting something to saying there's no way I'm going to continue in this in just a few hours, yet it happens. It's happened to, to many of us. And we call that a rude introduction, you know? And again, it can happen with ministry, a job, or even an activity. I remember I didn't warn my wife about this, but I remember introducing uh, my wife, Stephanie, to skiing when we first started dating. And she, uh, she started with very high hopes, but after my very terrible training, because I didn't do a good job of really preparing her, and then she had some pretty nasty falls, she was in the lodge with the skis off with a promise to me that she's never doing that again. <laughs> We've been married 28 years. She's right. She's... She was right. She hasn't done that again. And I remember also another example when a few of my friends, this is when I was attending Liberty University, and there was about four of us, and we thought it was going to be a, we thought it'd be a really good idea to try out for the Liberty University football team, which, by the way, is a Division I team. 
and we were going to try it as walk-ons, and we convinced ourselves that this was, we had all played high school football, of course we could do this, and we were going to do it together, and I remember going to the first session for the walk-ons um, with some very high hopes, far-fetched high hopes, and uh, one of the first things that the coach said is, I just want you to know what, what my job is. My job is to make every single one of you not want to walk on to this football team by the time we're done here today. And by the time he was done, he had done his job <laughs> uh, for me. Uh, I was done. And it's just funny how when we walked in, what we were talking about and how it was when we walked out. But in today's text, what we're going to see is we're going to see the beginning of, of Saul's gospel ministry, and he really does receive uh, quite a rude introduction. But unlike so many, and even unlike many of us, he's an example because what Saul did is he, he was ready for it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he persevered in spite of it. And so we're going to see how he did that. I'm just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit of God to lead us. Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word and for your truth. And Lord, we ask you to, to teach us uh, by uh, the Spirit of God um, you, the, the truths that are in your word. And Lord, even as we, as we study and, 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 and look at this book of Acts, that, which tells the beginning of the, of the church and these great witnesses of the gospel and we see what, what happened to Saul so early on. Lord, may it be a reminder to all of us as we endeavor to be in ministry or in witness or whatever it is that we're doing that sometimes, sometimes things don't go well. There's a lot of opposition or even resistance at first. And, and give us the strength, Lord, um, to persevere, we pray. Help us now, Lord, to receive again your truth that you would have for us, for each and every person that's here that they would know that God wants to speak to them and they would have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to pick right up where we uh, left off in Acts chapter 9 and we're, uh, we're at verse 19, which you just heard read. And the first thing we see here is that Saul, he begins to proclaim Christ. And it says that for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues and he said, he's the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. They asked, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So what we have here is Saul, after he's baptized, he spends a few days with the disciples in Damascus, most likely Ananias, which we learned about last week, and then also some other Christians. And immediately Luke tells us that he proclaimed Jesus. And I want you to notice right away where he proclaimed Jesus. He proclaimed him in the synagogues. And, and this is so ironic because these were the same synagogues that he had come to Damascus to find Christians in. He was going to go into these synagogues to find Christians. He had papers. He had authority to arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem. Now he's in those synagogues and he is proclaiming Jesus in them. And what was he saying about Jesus? He was proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. Now, we need to understand that message because he's not just saying Jesus died, 
because they all know about Jesus of Nazareth. That, that story spread. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, that was crucified in Jerusalem. He, he, didn't, he didn't just say he died. They know he died. His content, Saul's message, is very polarizing. It's not just, hey, Jesus loves you. And it's not just Jesus died for you. What he says in the Jewish synagogue is Jesus is the son of God. Now, in a Jewish synagogue, that's about as offensive a thing that he could say. And that's exactly what he's saying. He's, he's being quite clear and quite direct here. And how did the people respond? Well, they're amazed. There's something about Saul. There's something about his content. There's something about his power, his authority, which we know comes from the Holy Spirit. And it amazed them. And they asked, isn't this the persecutor? Isn't this the guy? Didn't he come here? And they were right about that. So they were asking, what's going on here? We move on in the story. Saul increases in strength and then he confounds his listeners. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So Luke tells us that Saul increased in strength and he confounded the Jews. How did he do that? He did it by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now again, he's not avoiding a sensitive issue here in his preaching. This, this, is, this is again very offensive to go into a Jewish synagogue with a Jewish audience and to say that this Jesus of Nazareth that we all heard about that was crucified by the Jewish leaders. The chief priests were involved in that. The Romans were involved in that. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet that's precisely what Saul is, is preaching and teaching. Saul was a very intelligent Pharisee. He was an expert in the Jewish law. But something happened, as we read about, in, on that Damascus road. He, he met Jesus. He saw Christ for who he, who he is. He, he saw Jesus. And that combination, the combination of his, of his education, his, his understanding of the Jewish law, with the revelation of who Christ is, it made him an incredibly powerful witness. And, and what really happened for Saul is that it actually, the understanding of who Jesus is, unlocked the whole Old Testament for him. He saw it in a completely different way now. And so, so he's understanding who the prophets are talking about. He understands what, what Abraham talked about and, and Isaac and Jacob and David. He, he's starting to understand all of this and he's, he's telling this Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when you know Luke's not giving us the detail here, he didn't just say, hey, I'm here to tell you Jesus is the Messiah. He's explaining how the Old Testament reveals this to them. He's showing them 
how this could be true. And we, we need to understand in that environment, that's very offensive. Like he's, this is not what they want to hear. And, and he's doing it in a very profound way. And he confounded the Jewish experts. They're confounded because they can't argue with him because he's actually, he's telling the truth. It, it is what the Old Testament is about. It, it's pointing to Christ. They could not contend with him. Now, I need, before we continue on in the narrative, I need to say a word about the timeline here um, of what's going on that's, that Luke doesn't tell us about. Um, so I'm going to ask you to stay with me on this so I can explain this to you in a way that makes sense. Saul was converted, okay? Then he spends a few days in Damascus, which we're, we're reading about. Then he leaves Damascus, and he goes to uh, what he explains as Arabia, but it's the Syro-Arabian desert. It's not the Arabian peninsula that we would think of. And he goes to the Sinai wilderness there. It's really the area where Moses received the law, and Saul goes there for three years, He's there for three years. Now, Luke does not mention this in Acts 9. It's not part of the story he's telling. He's not just telling the story of Saul. He's telling the story of the church. He's explaining. And, and so we know about this from what Paul told us in uh, Galatians chapter 1, which I'm going to refer to and have come up here on the screen for you to see. Galatians 1.15, this is what Paul the apostle wrote to the believers in Galatia. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So this is where we have the, this is, this is filling in the blanks. This is what we, what we do. We use scripture to help us understand scripture. And so here's what Paul's doing. He's telling us that after he gave his life to Christ, he did not go first to Jerusalem to get the blessing of the apostles in Jerusalem. He went first to Arabia and he was there for three years. Then he came back to Damascus. And then after that, he went to Jerusalem. And he was in Jerusalem for 15 days. And so, when we go back to Acts chapter 9, as you look at your Bibles and you say, okay, where does this, where does this three-year period fit in here? Most interpreters uh, believe that those three years took place between verse 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 9. So when you, look at, when you look at verse 22 and you look at 23, you're, you might be thinking, oh, it's just like the same day or the next day, but it's actually a three-year period of time based on how we understand Galatians 1. So why were these three years there? Well, it was, it was preparation for Saul. He was, he, was, he was being prepared. God was using that time. We don't know a whole lot about what he was doing there, but we can expect and understand that God was using that time to set Paul, uh, Saul apart for ministry, to teach him, and I'm sure wherever he was, he was preaching the gospel because that's just what he did. So we need to understand that so I didn't just you know, you don't look over uh, this text 
and not realize that there is a little bit of a time difference than maybe you expected. So now back to Acts chapter 9. We see that Saul escapes Damascus in dramatic fashion. So verse 23, when many days had passed, so there's those many days. Luke doesn't fill us in on how many, but now you have an idea of what was going on. The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So, as we pick up in verse 23, those three years have most likely passed. And Saul is now back in Damascus, just as he said in Galatians 1. And the first thing we learn about him being back in Damascus is that the Jewish leaders are trying to kill him. They're plotting to kill him. But the Lord allowed Saul to become aware of their plans. So he became aware of their plans and Saul sought an escape. So he did not seek here to comply with the Jewish governing authority. He wasn't just turning himself in here. He, he planned an escape because he knew they were trying to kill him. They were watching for him actually at the city gate. They had people stationed at the gates to see if Saul came in or out. He was already in, so if he left, they would have captured him and killed him. And so what happened is his disciples took him to a house that was probably on the city wall. And that house had an opening. It would probably, we'd call it a window, but there was probably no glass. It was just an opening. And they let him out the opening, lowering him in a basket, and he escaped Damascus. And so this is, this is, again, his kind of introduction to ministry, and he's running for his life, and people are trying to kill him in Damascus. Then we see that he returns to Jerusalem. So there's the return to Jerusalem part that we read about in Galatians chapter 1, which we know he had been in three years in Arabia before he went to Jerusalem. So this is how we put things together in the scriptures. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So finally, this new believer, Saul, he's back in Jerusalem. Now, we got we to step back from this because we started looking when he left Jerusalem. Remember when we, when we first started looking at this and, and reading about Saul, he, he, he left Jerusalem with authority from the chief priest. He had his crew, he had his papers, and he was on his way, and now he's coming back. And you could imagine the what's going through his mind as he enters back into Jerusalem, right? He's going back in and he's probably thinking, wow, remember when I left here last time? I, I was a mess. Like what, wow, God, thank you for, for saving me because what was I doing when I left? Now I'm coming back as, as a brother and I just can't wait to get together with my other brothers in, in Christ in Jerusalem, 
And so he goes back, more, again, more than three years have passed, but his reputation still precedes him, especially with the other believers in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is kind of like, you know, the main church. It's where, it's where everything kind of started and went out. You know, Peter's uh, there, at least now he's, he is. And so, you know, the, he's, he's, a, he's a major uh, apostle. And, and so, you know, this is, a, this is a big deal for this church specifically to receive Saul. And they don't receive him because they remember what he, what he was doing the last time he was in Jerusalem, the trouble that he caused. And Luke tells us that they were all afraid of him. And I don't think it's fear in the sense that they were afraid uh, to give their lives for the gospel. They were skeptical of his story. They were cynical about his story. They were trying to be careful as leaders in the church. They didn't trust him. That's really what it was. They didn't trust Saul. You know, was he really a believer or is he actually pretending to be a believer to get in with us so that he could kill us? Like, is that really what this is about? What was he up to these past three years? We don't really know much about where he's even been. What has he been doing? So they did not welcome him. They did not receive him. They kind of kept him at arm's length, which, not, which was not the reception, I'm sure, that Saul was hoping for. And then the scripture tells us about Barnabas. And it's but Barnabas. And before this, you don't know who he is. That name means son of encouragement. And, and the way that it's written, it, it's written he took Saul meaning it's written almost as if he grabbed him by the hand and said, you're coming with me. Let's go. I'm taking care of this. And he brought him before the uh, apostles, specifically Peter. And he told them, he said, wait a minute, I need to tell you about this guy. He was preaching the name of Christ. Boldly, he was preaching the name of Christ. He was doing that in Damascus. And then they almost killed him for it. And he had to, he had to escape and so with the recommendation of Barnabas, the apostles and the church in Jerusalem then welcomed Saul into the fellowship. They needed that. They needed, they needed Barnabas to, to be his advocate. They did not allow his past failures to define him. Saul was a new creation. And it reminds us that we should not allow someone's past failures to determine their future successes. Like we need to remember this too in the church. There, there is a place for wisdom and discernment. And I think the apostles were doing that to make sure, wait a minute, we don't know what we know what we've heard, but we want to make sure. And when, when Barnabas stood up, and spoke on Saul's behalf, they received him. And I think sometimes we need to do the same as believers, is not allow someone's past failures to determine their future successes, especially how God wants to use them. The gospel tells us that all has become new, right? All has become new, the old is gone. So, 
Saul's ministry then in Jerusalem. That's where we'll go next. Saul's ministry in Jerusalem. Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So Saul went in and out. That's a phrase, a common phrase that's used by Luke. And he means more than he just went in and out. He means that he had been brought into the fellowship. He was, he was allowed to come and go. He was, he was a part of them. Now, he was living among the believers in Jerusalem. And what was his ministry in Jerusalem? What was Saul doing in Jerusalem? Well, he preached boldly in the name of the Lord. He spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists. And the Hellenists were basically just the the Greek-speaking Jews. They were Jews that were living in the area that had really begun to uh, adapt into their lives Greek culture to the point that they were speaking Greek. And for some Jews, that would have been considered, "You're, you're, you're giving up your heritage, you shouldn't be doing that. And then for others, it was, no, it's just part of What's happening? And so it was the, these Hellenists are, are the ones that Saul is disputing with, talking about Christ. And what did it lead to? Well, it led to that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill Saul. And so you step back from this story and you go, okay, Saul has been in three places since his conversion. He's been in Damascus, he's been in Arabia, and he's been in Jerusalem. Two of the three, in a few days, they're trying to kill him. Like that's not, we don't describe that as it's going well, right? You know, hey, Paul, or hey, Saul, how's ministry in Damascus? Not too good. I'm, I'm escaping from my life in the middle of the night from a basket in the hole of a, you know, of a house on the city wall. Well, how's it going in Jerusalem? Well, not too good. I didn't get received well by the church. When they finally did receive me, now I'm, I'm running for my life again because the Jewish leaders want to kill me. This is the experience that Saul had in being a gospel witness. It, it, it reminds us, you know, again, we, we take these stories so, um, we, we read them and we're so familiar with them that we lose the humanity of the people that we're talking about. What if that happened to you? Wouldn't there be a point where you might say, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing? Like, I mean, Saul is, he's, he's pursuing through difficulty. This is difficult stuff he's dealing with. And, and what is it that he's doing that makes everyone want to kill him so quickly? You know, like why, why is he, why is he, uh, what is he doing in his ministry that's making it so that they, they want to just take him out? Well, he's preaching Christ boldly. And apparently that boldly is strongly opposed. So what do the apostles do with Saul? Verse 30. And when the brothers learned, learned about the fact that they were trying to kill him, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. They're like, Let, let's get this guy out of Jerusalem. Like, he's, been, he's only been there 15 days. I don't, know, I don't know what his plan was, but it probably wasn't 15 days. You know, I'm just going to hang around here, uh, you know, for, for, you know, two weeks. It was probably, I'm going to be here for a little bit. I want to fellowship with these brothers. But he caused so much trouble so fast that they, they're getting him out. 
And you think about it, Saul caused massive problems for the Christians in Jerusalem when he was a persecutor. Now he's causing massive problems as a gospel witness. So they bring him to Caesarea. They put him on a ship. They said, we bought you a ticket. Saul, you're going back to Tarsus, your hometown. And what we know is that Saul then spends the next eight years of his life ministering uh, in this area, uh, Cilicia and uh, Syria. And he stays there until Barnabas, again, his friend Barnabas comes looking for him again. And we read that later on. And he asks Saul to join him in the work that God is doing in Antioch. But this is what, this is what happened. The, the, the church and the brothers in Jerusalem are like, get him out of here. Because this guy is causing a ruckus here in Jerusalem. Now notice the tone and the content of verse 31. It's almost like Luke takes a deep breath. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up. I mean, I would, you know, if this was written about me, I'd be like, man, as soon as Mark left, everything got better. <laughs> you know, uh, as soon as Saul got out of there, the church, you know, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they had peace. They were being built up. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. They're in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the church multiplied. Wow, Saul leaves and all of this happens. And these are good things being described here. Peace, walking in the fear of the Lord, comfort of the spirit. And it's amazing when you look at that, right? Verse 31, and you think, how can the church be described to be at peace and in comfort while Christians are being threatened with death and seeking escape for their lives? But that's how, he's, that's how it's being described, right? Like, this is, this is what was going on. But yet the church is at peace. The church is being built up. The church is in comfort. But the comfort is the comfort of the Spirit. And the church is multiplying. So you have, you have these, these situations going on that are difficult for us to reconcile. Because you think that this persecution and the fact that they're trying to kill people shouldn't lead to a church that's, you know, that, that's walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Spirit and a church that's multiplying. But yet that's exactly what we see. Amazing. Amazing how you can see how God works in and through his church. And I think that's something for all of us to also consider. So I want to pick up with the uh, narrative. We'll pick up with the narrative again next week. But what I want to do now is just talk about and see what we can draw out in terms of application and response for all of us. I think our text for today gives us some very clear marks of a, a faithful gospel witness, which is clearly seen here by Saul's example. And if I were to say to you, do you want to be in your life, do you want to be the gospel witness that God has called you to be? And, and the reality is, is that not all of us are called to be a missionary in the way that Saul was, was being called. And that's, that's perfectly fine. That's not, I'm not here to tell you that all of us are 
to you know, leave our jobs and go into full-time Christian ministry. But what I am here to tell you is no matter what it is that you are doing, wherever it is that God has you, he intends for you to be a witness for him where you are. How can you do that in a way that is more effective? How, we want to be gospel witnesses where the Lord has us. And these are marks of, of a faithful gospel witness. And so as I go through these, just ask the Spirit of God to help make these things true of you. These are not the kinds of things that, I'm not giving you a to-do list. These aren't things that write these down and then start working, you know, you start doing them tomorrow. No, that's not how it works. It's, 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 it's responding to God and saying, God, can you make these things true of me because I can't do it on my own. And you need, you need wisdom and discernment in even how to have these things play out in your life. So the first one that I have here as, a, as the mark of a faithful gospel witness is they preach a clear and distinct message of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. That's what we're told. We're told that Saul went into the Jewish synagogue and he preached, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. So, so I think one of the marks of true faithful gospel witness is that it's clear. It's, it's understandable. It's not confusing. You know, there, there's really nothing confusing about Jesus is the Christ. Right? Now, there might be questions behind that, but that's a pretty clear statement. There's nothing confusing about Jesus is the Son of God. That was Saul's message. Both of those messages, very, very unpopular. But clarity was not his issue. He was clear. The Jews in Damascus and in Jerusalem, they didn't like it. I think it was so clear that they wanted to kill him. And I think what's happening today is we have, we have too many Christian messages, and I say Christian just more as an adjective describing something, but not necessarily biblical. And sometimes you, you need like a decoder ring to understand what's being said or a magnifying glass to find the gospel in it. And that really should not be. Like that shouldn't be, our message needs to be clear. You know, this is the problem with uh, social media and uh, Twitter as an example, because you only have 280 characters. It's hard to get something clear across in these areas, right? Especially, you know, 280 characters with spaces. But if you can't get the message across clearly with the limitations, sometimes you may be better off not saying anything at all. One guy on Twitter summarized well what I'm saying. I'll put it up here on the screen. He said, many well-meaning pastors on this platform, speaking of Twitter, post what they assume to be condensed, pithy gospel truths that are actually confusing, decontextualized conundrums that conceal more than they reveal. We're not looking to do that as gospel witnesses. We're not looking to make things confusing or conceal. We're looking to reveal. Amen? Like we're looking to make things understandable. And, and, and so what, what, what we see is being a gospel witness is not about being confusing. It's about clarity, distinction, a clear and distinct gospel without confusion, without clutter, focused on, in Saul's case, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. 
And I think we need more of that to be faithful gospel witnesses. We need to be clear. Second, they preach with power and strength, not weakness and fear. They preach with power and strength, not weakness and fear. I, I specifically am using that word preach because it's the word that's used most often in this text. The, 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 the preaching was, they were preaching Christ. Luke tells us that Saul increased in strength. Saul was not a weak gospel witness. He was a strong gospel witness. And he was strong in his message. And I think we're living in a time where we need that. We need strong gospel witnesses. Witness that's rooted in faith, not fear. In the Spirit's power. In the power of the Holy Spirit, not fear of how the world reacts. Uh, I, I think, I think we, there, there's too much sometimes in our witness that the first thing we think about is not whether what I'm saying is of the Spirit for us to say, but how is someone going to respond to it or take it and then trying to evaluate whether or not it should be said. And I think we need to be discerning in that, Absolutely. There are times where things are more appropriate or, and, and less appropriate, and we need to have wisdom. But that is wisdom and discernment driving that, not fear. And there's a difference. We cannot, we cannot allow fear uh, or the fear of opposition and even name-calling uh, be a factor in our gospel witness because that's going to come. I think with powerful gospel witness, we can expect that there's going to be this opposition. So we need, to, we need to have power and strength in our witness, not weakness and fear. Third, they preach with boldness. Luke specifically mentions this several times, that Saul preached with boldness in verse 27 and in verse 28. And here's what's interesting about the way that this text sets this up. Barnabas, in his defense of Saul, now remember, what is Barnabas doing? Barnabas is trying to convince the other apostles in Jerusalem that Saul is an actual, genuine follower of Christ. And what does he use as evidence that Saul is a genuine follower of Christ? He refers to his boldness. Barnabas uses boldness as evidence Evidence that what? That Saul should be received into the fellowship, that he should be welcomed by the apostles, that he is truly a follower of Jesus Christ. But what do we see happening today? It seems that boldness today is actually used as a reason to disqualify people. But here in Acts 9, it was evidence and reason to bring him into fellowship because he was unafraid of speaking out, specifically about Jesus in a Jewish, very Jewish culture. And I think we need this kind of boldness in our gospel witness that we see evidenced here by, by Saul and known and realized by Barnabas to the point that it was part of how and why he became part of the fellowship in Jerusalem. And, and fourth, they preach knowing persecution and opposition will come. 
They preach knowing that persecution and opposition will come. Saul was a powerful gospel witness because he knew that persecution and opposition would come and he preached anyway. In other words, he wasn't preaching with the intention of how do I avoid persecution? How do I avoid opposition? That, that's, a, that's a very different and unique way to preach, right? If the goal in preaching is let me preach in a way that makes it so that opposition and persecution doesn't come. That's not, that wasn't his intention. It wasn't his goal. He, he preached knowing that what his message was would bring that and he preached it anyway. And I think that's what we need to be doing in our world today. And I'm not recommending in any way that we are leaving here and we're, we're taking the Bible and just, you know, clubbing people over the head with it. It's not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we need to be able to be bold in our witness, standing for truth in our world and in our culture, knowing that that kind of thing is not really well tolerated anymore. And yet, we're called to be these kinds of witnesses. They were trying to kill Saul in Damascus. Kill him. He was only there a little while. Why? Because he preached something that they didn't like. Jesus is the son of God. He preached Jesus is the Christ to Jews in a synagogue. They tried to kill Saul in Jerusalem. Why? Well, what Luke tells us in this passage is because he was disputing with the Greek-speaking Jews. What was he disputing with them? Well, we don't have all of the, the content. We have a little bit of what we can learn through Paul's writing himself and the rest of the book of Acts. But we can guess that what he was doing was standing his ground for truth against a Greek culture that was pushing against it. But he preached the gospel boldly and he continued to do it. And he did it knowing that this was going to be coming his way. And these are, these, all of these represent some marks of gospel witness that I think all of us can learn from as we're looking and continuing to study uh, this book, this book of Acts, which is all about the witnesses of the gospel in the early church. And we're going to continue to see this coming out in different ways as we continue to go through this book. So my, my prayer for all of you, for, for all of us, is that we, that we would allow the, the Spirit of God to empower us to be the witnesses of Christ and his gospel that he's called us to be in this world that so desperately needs us to be these kinds of witnesses. And we can only do it in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not, again, don't listen to these and think, okay, this is, uh, this is something I'm gonna start working on on, on Monday. It's, it's no, it's, it's part of how you pray and ask God and say, Lord God, help me to be the kind of witness you've called me to be. If there are places in my life where I'm compromising only because I'm concerned about what others would say, Help me not to be concerned about that as much as I'm concerned about being the witness you've called me to be. These are different kinds of, of prayers that I think we need to have before the Lord. Ask him to go before us. So let's pray together. 
Lord God, help us to be these kinds of witnesses in the world that you've called us in. We thank you for an example like Saul. We thank you that even though he had a very, very rude introduction to ministry in two different cities, he left those cities not because uh, he wanted to, but he left fearing for his life. Those plotting against him to take his life. Why? Because he was making known the truth about Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in this world that we're living in, in our workplaces, in our families, in the places that you have us. Lord, help us to be the kind of witnesses that are able to share and to speak when the opportunity arises where we can say things like, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. And I believe that. And I believe that when you understand that, it unlocks the entire Old Testament for us to understand the way uh, that it was written. Help us, Lord. I pray for each and every person here that is seeking to be these kinds of witnesses in the world that they're in. Give them strength today. Give them encouragement. And help them to trust completely in the power of your Holy Spirit to make your name known, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.